Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. This week, we bring our series Exiled, Hope in a Hostile World, to its conclusion with another doubleheader as we are joined by the Reverend Dr. John Guest and the Reverend Doug Rary, both preaching on 1 Peter chapter 5. Just a quick reminder that if you would like to revisit any one of the messages or all of the messages in this series, you can do so one of two ways. You can locate our sermons online at ccgf.org sermons or on the Christchurch app, which is available on Apple and Android devices. Now, here is Pastor John with our sermon from the sanctuary. Thank you for listening. Bow your heads with me. Even in the act of bowing our heads, it's a symbol of surrender our heads in the presence of a living, holy, loving, all-knowing God. O Lord Jesus, we bow our heads before you. We bow our hearts before you. By your grace, by your wonderful work in our lives, grant to us the gift of humility to be able to humble ourselves not just as an outward and visible sacrament, bowing, humbling physically, but deep down in the private places of our lives, Lord, to humble ourselves before you, before your word, before your designs and desires for our lives, to surrender, give up our egocentric living, and join you, So toward that end, Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And take our hearts, Lord Jesus, and set them on fire with love for yourself. We pray this for your name's sake. Amen. Well, exiles in a hostile world, and that we are. And as we come to the conclusion of this series, series, making our way through First Peter, that is, Peter's first letter, his first epistle. It's fitting that we conclude with a discussion about the fierce contrast that there is between pride and arrogance, which is what our world seems to exhibit and honor and take pleasure in, and humility, the willing to be submissive to him, the Lord, submissive to his desires, his plans, to have a different life attitude. Through the week, as I've been preparing, I've been singing to myself, humming to myself, a song that goes back, I would have to think, about 40 years. Well, you are in for a treat. You ready to go? I'm ready, Will you lead off and I'll follow? Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. 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 And he and he will lift He will lift you up. Lift you up higher and higher and he about that. <laughs> hey, don't go. I'm going to teach that to you. Pastor Mark, don't go off on those flares. Okay. Stick with the melody and lead this half of the church. 
I will lead these three. Yeah, so when Marcus sings, Pastor Marcus, you sing. Guess Give what? Give me a beat, Kevin. Yun's are my team. So you sing with me. All right, you ready? One, two, three, and we sing. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. 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 And he he will live you up. And he got it going stand up and let's really sing out now no musical accompaniment it's just your voices there you go one two lift your voice and sing humble thyself in the sight of the lord 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 and he, and he shall lift, shall lift you up. And he, and he shall lift, shall lift you up. And he, and he shall lift you up. Well, that was a worthwhile experiment. So, since you can sing so well, come and discover your real voice with Pastor Marcus. No excuses. Have you ever been mistaken for one of the helpers in a store? Somebody comes up to you and says, can you tell me where I can find this? How did you feel? I, uh, (laughs) my favorite jacket to wear when I'm traveling because it's normally I'm trying to look put together not just for the travel but when I get there but in order that my jacket stays cool I don't fold it up and pack it and drive or travel like a slob I wear my nice jacket to look after it so that when I get where I'm going I can look put together well it's a double-breasted jacket with brass buttons and I've been mistaken for a flight attendant The most amazing deal was this. Back when I was a younger man and I'd been invited to speak to the uh, YPO, the Young Presidents Organization, at an amazing weekend at the Boca Raton Beach Club down in Florida. My family was invited. Our children, who were teenagers at the time, got all the privileges of the sons and daughters of these wealthy young presidents at this very nice resort. And I thought, well, I'd better look sharp. So I had a very nice, not quite uh, Augusta green jacket, but a handsome green jacket that I would wear with cream slacks. So I thought, Florida, YPO, that's me. So I took those down there with me. 
Well, amazingly, it was very, very awkward because all the support staff at the Boca Raton Beach Club had green jackets just like mine with cream slacks. So that was the end of that deal. And then amazingly, I had to go because they had this finishing banquet of wonderful dance and uh, banquet. And so they said to me, you need to go and rent yourself a tux. So I went and rented myself a tux. And it arrived the day at the beach club of the banquet. And the jacket was fantastic, fitted me perfectly. But the trousers were about halfway up my shin. <laughs> Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. That's all I had to wear. I actually had the audacity to turn up with those, with that tux and the, uh, the trousers halfway up my leg. I had half decent legs in those days, so it wasn't as bad as you might think. It's great how the Lord can humble us, isn't it? Just when you think you've got it together. I remember stepping out to speak at one of the uh, Coalition for Christian Outreach student conferences in the earlier days. And, uh, and by the way, I just say this in passing, wasn't it spectacular to see those three young faces, those three millennials doing mission work overseas from our congregation? You want to know about what the millennials are doing? They're not all hopelessly uncommitted, just taking care of their self-indulgences. Now, where was I? CCO, yes. I step out to speak, and I came energetically. They'd done whatever they were doing, and I came energetically and tripped. Like, if you can imagine coming out of pulpit, or like this, podium, and tripping. And Bob Long, who was running the coalition in those days, said, it was amazing. You tripped, and you stood up and started speaking as if nothing had happened. But it is very easy, just when you want to present yourself well, to sort of fall on your face. And, to, and God seizes every opportunity he can to humble us. If you look at page six in your service sheet, and this was one of those words read to us so well by Lenny, I want you, amongst all those verses, chapter five, to look at verse five. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. And the exuberance of youth and often the arrogance of youth who think that they know everything, Peter addresses, you young folks, be submissive, be aware of, take notice of, humble yourselves with the, in the presence of the wisdom of the elders. Don't be all about yourself. Look, listen, and learn from the elders. And then he goes on to say, all of you, do you see that? All of you, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Now that word clothe there in the original language of Greek is the only time that word is used in the whole of the New Testament. The concepts that it 
embodies our clear. But this is an amazing word. All the commentaries that I looked at concerning this statement make a point of saying that the word that is used for clothing yourself is a word that describes the slave wrapping himself with the humble apron of service to protect whatever other clothes he may be wearing and like tying it around himself. But it's used of a slave covering himself, wrapping himself around to do his slave-like service. And without question, they also say that Peter, who's the author of this letter, is reflecting on, reminiscing on, a moment in his life with Jesus when Jesus wrapped himself around with a towel at the Last Supper and went around and washed the disciples' feet. In fact, that's very wonderfully set out for us in John's Gospel and chapter 13. Let me read it to you. The evening meal was being served... The devil had already prompted Judas, Judas Iscariot of, uh, to betray Jesus. And Simon, Simon Peter, was watching all this. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was turning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped himself around with a towel. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And who does he come to in that uh, dozen, or dozen chaps? But Simon Peter. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Simon then said, Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. So here is Peter writing to exiles, pleading with them to humble themselves. All of you, not just the young men in the presence of the elders, but all of you, wrap yourselves around, put on the garment of humility. And then he further talks about that Bearing in mind his reminiscence of Jesus humbling himself, taking the form of a servant, and coming by and washing the disciples' feet. And when he comes to Peter, you can imagine Peter watching him do this slave-like service, ministry to the other disciples. And it comes his turn. And he's horrified. You wash my feet? No, you will never wash my feet. Trying to understand what was going on there, I suppose two things. One was this, that Jesus was his hero. 
It was Peter who said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, Peter. This was earlier in the ministry. But my Father in heaven, Peter got it. He knew who he was. And here is Jesus stooping, kneeling at the feet of Peter with a bowl of water that he has poured himself, with a towel wrapped around his waist like a slave servant, washing Peter's feet, wanting to do that, kneeling at his feet, and and Peter saying, no way. And on the one hand, you can see him being horrified that the greatness of Jesus, evident to Peter, was being in some sense slurred. It was like Jesus was acting beneath himself, way beneath himself. No lower could he act. It was slave labor, slavish behavior, wrapped around with the garment of the slave to dry the feet of the disciples. Peter was horrified at that thought. And maybe there was something else going, a kind of what we would call inverted pride. Inverted pride. Like, you'll never wash my feet. Like, me? Wash my feet? You wash my feet? My feet? You know, there are some people, and we may get back to this by the time the sermon's done, who are too proud to let Jesus wash away their sins. Too proud to kneel at the cross. Too proud to have Jesus forgive their sins. Too proud to acknowledge that they are sinners and it cost Jesus his life on the cross. Strange kind of pride. God so loving the world that he gave us his only begotten son and we rejecting it because we are not willing to receive from that son Jesus forgiveness. In a sense, to humble ourselves, to receive it. Like we'll take care of our problems ourselves. Well, going on beyond that reminiscence, Peter quotes the Bible. Still in verse 5, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Now let me ask you, do you want God for an opponent? How do you want to take God on? To be opposed by God. Turn it around. He sees you as the opposition and he's going to oppose you because of your pride. Because of your arrogance. You and I both know you nor I want God to take us on as an opponent. That can only end in one way and that's disaster for us. God resists the proud. And the word resist, again, it's not just like a resistance, like holding off. It's a resistance as if the word's used of an army outflanking you and taking a ridge to take your life, to to battle you. It's God arrayed against you. Not just there to resist, but arrayed against you like an army, like a military flank, to take you on. It's a strong word. It's not just a weak defensive word. A strong word. 
to bring you down. But he gives grace to the humble. That is, he lifts us up. If we will be humble, just as we have sung, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will rise you, raise you up. So we don't want God as an adversary. We want God to be a proponent, an advocate. We want God on our side. And the wonder of this world is this, that God will bring down the arrogant and proud and lift up the humble. Listen to these words from uh, 1 Corinthians. It's an extraordinary thing. This is Paul addressing that theme. He says this in verse 17 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of his power. Verse 19, he goes on to say this in the same chapter, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, says the Lord, and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. This is God speaking from the Old Testament. He's quoting that prophecy from Isaiah. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. And then he asked rhetorically, where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? One of the miracles of the gospel is that it redeems and lifts us up. When we humble ourselves in the presence of the Lord, when we're willing to give up and surrender to Him, miracles take place in our lives, and miracles happen in groups i.e., therefore, society, that society becomes transformed. Not with the pride and the arrogance of the philosopher or the politicians who think that they can come with the power of money or the force of law or even the backing of education and people with doctorates and learned degrees. When you educate a criminal, guess what you get? an educated criminal. Pastor Ed makes it quite clear that the only hope to transform our urban centers is the gospel which changes the heart, transforms you from the inside out. Taking a criminal and giving him a new vision of himself, where does that begin? Humbling himself in the sight of the Lord at the foot of the cross. And that's the same for us. The hope of the United States of America and indeed the world is not more education. It's not that we disdain education and what you can learn. But that's not the hope of the world. The hope of the world is Jesus. And coming to Jesus is a humbling event. We don't come with our heads held high boasting of who we are, and therefore that he must receive us. We have to come bowed and humbled and acknowledge our problem and surrender to him. And he 
will lift us up. It's the gift of the gospel. That is the wisdom of God. And Paul goes on to say in this chapter, God's foolishness in sending Christ to die on the cross and become our Savior has made foolishness the wisdom of the world. It's a reversal of things. It's amazing how the arrogance of the world tends to scorn and put us in exile, so to speak, as if we have nothing to say, isolate us, go talk about your God in your own community, in your own little church. You can go play church, just don't come out where we are and live that way and talk as if we need Jesus. That's the world coming at us. With the love of Christ in our hearts, we are possessed of God to go out into that world and with the humility of those who ourselves have come to Christ, share him with that world out there. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist of the 1800s, Billy Graham of the 1800s, in, in effect, had a massive impact. He couldn't even speak well. His English was bad. His grammar was bad. He never got beyond something like about a sixth or seventh grade education. And he went preaching in England at the University of Cambridge. And God took D.L. Moody. And I can't even begin to imitate how I imagined he would have spoken and converted the elites of Cambridge so that there are now legendary books about Cambridge men and women who got converted in his visit to Cambridge, who then went out as missionaries to the world, just like these young people that we've been asked to pray for. There's one book called the Cambridge Five, no, the Cambridge Seven. Seven men who got converted and went out onto the mission field. And the difference they made, those seven men only of the hundreds who came to Christ. One man by the name, he wasn't one of these students, but a man by the name of John Carey, went to India. He wasn't one of the seven. He was a very humble man. In fact, he was a cobbler. He was a mender of shoes. And God called him to India. And he ended up being able to translate the Bible into Hindi and win thousands to Christ and start a movement in India. John Carey is one of the legends of the Christian faith. And he was at a banquet held by the governor being one of our colonies from England, the governor holding a banquet at which high military officers were invited and John Carey was invited as a missionary. And the high official officers, that is military, with their braid and their medals, turning up at that banquet, scorned the missionaries. And one of them, it's almost like seeing a Jane Austen novel in a movie. You know how somebody would say something very coarse, critical, out loud, in front of somebody they were criticizing? One of the officers said out loud within Carey's hearing, I understand that Carey was a maker of shoes. And John Carey said, that's not so. I was a mender of shoes and was not ashamed of it. Well, he began even to 
men's souls, S-O-U-L-S, not just of shoes, but of people. And the power of the gospel to transform from the inside out that military force, governmental force, and educational arrogance could never accomplish the humility of Jesus himself. Now let me just compare and contrast pride and humility, and we'll be done. Pride, if you take the word sin, S-I-N, is the big I in the middle. That's the essence of pride. The essence of pride is the essence of sin. I, me, arrogantly consumed with myself, promoting myself, looking out for just me, taking all the advantages of whether it's my education, style, background, force of personality, whatever, good fortune, being at the right place at the right time, pride, I, is the essence of sin. So when I'm all full of myself, so happy with myself to promote myself, be the center of attention, to have people admire me, speak well of me, respond positively to me, when it's all about me, consumed with myself. And I would have to say that if there is one problem with the millennial generation, is that they are full of self-introverted reflection, consumed with themselves and how they feel and how the world's treating them and how it works for them. But that's for all of us to a greater or lesser extent. That's sin. That is pride. Now, humility is not pretending that you don't have gifts or abilities and like just disappearing in the woodwork. In fact, I took the trouble to write down these thoughts. Let me read them to you so that I get it clear. Because there is a kind of false humility. As one critic put it, the critic of the humble, he said, humility is the gift of not letting people know how great you think you are. That is not humility. Humility is an attitude of mind, and it is not denying the truth of who you are, not pretending something else so that you see less of yourself than you really are. Humility, listen very carefully, humility is what you do with what you are, what you do with what you have. That is, serving the needs of someone else, enhancing or promoting someone else. Let me take you back to John chapter 13, because it's remarkably stated as Jesus came to wash their feet. I read it, but in reading through it and not commenting, you may have well missed it. Verse 3 of John 13, listen to these words. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knew who he was. He never ever denied who he was. 
He tried to communicate well who he was. He knew who he was. He didn't pretend he was something else. But listen to this. Knowing all this, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped himself in a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was around his waist, wrapped around him. Do you know what was going on here? It is like you being invited to Buckingham Palace in London and hosted by Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. And when you get there and are seated in her company, she gets up and comes and kneels at your feet and washes your feet. I would lay odds that that has never, ever happened. And here is God Almighty in the flesh, stooping. And as he says to Peter, you'll understand later on what this means. And Peter did grasp it, that he, Jesus, set them a standard, an example, as well as being God stooping to raise him up, make him a new man, give him a new vision of himself. Who would have ever guessed that Peter the fisherman would have St. Peter's Basilica in Rome dedicated in his honor? Well, one day when we get home to be with Jesus, stated in this passage, he will give us a crown. One day, we will receive a crown of righteousness, says Paul. And that wasn't to him only, but to all who await his coming, who look for him. And I don't know where you find yourself, but I have to tell you, I don't want God opposing me. I want him to lift me up. And you don't have to deny who you are and what gifts you have and what wealth you have what education you have, and what a background you have, in order to be humble. You take all that God has given you. I surrender all. What a wonderful intro to this sermon. I surrender all. You bring it all to him and use it for his cause. We have prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Take all that you have and give it to him. That's humility to use it for him and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness with all that you have, with all that you bring and give to him and surrender to him. It's all his. I was speaking with a woman just yesterday evening at a very nice banquet in a very nice house, and she was telling me that her husband, who I think became a very wealthy man, when he went to school, had cardboard in the soles of his shoes because he had holes in his shoes. I was able to say to her, so did I. My mother would tear the cardboard up and put it in the shoe to stop the shoe, say, excuse me, stop the ground wearing out my feet. But he will raise you up. Give all that you have to him. What have you that he didn't give you? Scripture asks that question. He's given it to you, and he's redeemed you, and you now belong to him. 
and so does everything you own and the ability you have, your standing in the community, the gifts of your gab, speech, communication, looks, home, abilities. Bring that to the cross and let him raise you up as you use it for him. Let's pray. O oh Lord Jesus, O oh Lord Jesus, forgive us that we just use you for all the benefits that you give to us, the peace of forgiveness, the hope of heaven, the glory that one day shall be ours, the comfort that we can cast all our care upon you knowing that you care for us. So many benefits, Lord. Help us to give you everything about us, everything we are, in humility. Please, Lord, bring us to the cross with all that we have and all that we are and surrender it to you, our very selves. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.